Chapter Sixteen of the Ashiel Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. Recording by Garth Comira. The Ashiel Mystery by Mrs. Charles Bryce. Chapter Sixteen. With her white paint and her scarlet smokestack, the Inverashiel one of the two small steamers that, during the summer months, plied up and down the lock, and incidentally carried on communication between Inverashiel and Cryonon, was a picturesque addition to the landscape as she approached the wooden landing stage that stood half a mile below the promontory on which the castle was built. It was the morning of Friday, the day following the funeral, and clouds were settling slowly down on the tops and shoulders of the hills, in spite of the brilliant sunset of the previous evening. The lock lay dark and still, its surface wore an oily, treacherous look. Every detail of the Inverus Shield's tub-like shape was reflected and beautifully distorted in the water, which broke in long, low waves from her bows as she swerved round to come alongside the pier. As the few passengers who were waiting for her crossed the short gangway, a shower burst over the lock, and in a few minutes had driven everyone into the little cabin, except the two or three men who constituted the officers and crew of the steamer. One of these was in the act of slackening the rope by which the boat had been warped alongside, when a running, gesticulating figure appeared in the distance, shouting to them to wait for him. Waited for accordingly he was, and in a few minutes Gimlet, rather out of breath after his run, hurried on board, and with a word of apology and thanks to the obliging skipper, turned, like the other passengers, towards the shelter of the cabin. With his hand on the knob of the door, he hesitated. Through the glass top he had just caught sight of a figure that seemed familiar. He had seen that tweed before. The short girl with her back to him was wearing the dress in which he had seen her on the Wednesday night, searching among Lord Ashiel's papers in the library at the castle. It was Julia Romaninoff, beyond a doubt, and Gimblet drew back quickly, and took up his position behind the funnels on the afterdeck. In spite of the rain, he remained there until the boat reached Cryonon, leaning against the rail with his collar turned up and his soft felt hat pulled down over his ears, so that little of him was visible except the tip of his nose. His mind, always active, was busier than usual as he watched the ripples roll away in endless succession from the sides of the Inverus shield, which looked so strangely less white on closer inspection, or followed the smooth, soaring movements of the gulls that swooped and circled around her as she puffed and panted her way across the black, taciturn waters. As they drew near to Cryonon, he concealed himself still more carefully behind a pile of crates and not till Miss Romaninoff had left the steamer did he emerge from his hiding-place and step warily off the boat. The young lady was still in sight, making her way up the steep pitch of the main street, and the detective followed her discreetly, loitering before shop-windows, as if fascinated by the display of Scottish homespuns, or samples of Royal Stuart Tartan, and taking an extraordinary interest in fishing-tackle and trout-flies. But, though the girl looked back more than once, the little man in the Ulster who was so intent on picking his way between the puddles did not apparently provide her with any food for suspicions, and she made no attempt to see who was so carefully sheltered beneath the umbrella he carried. 
At last they left the cobblestones of the little town and emerged upon the high road, which here ran across the open moorland. It was difficult now to continue the pursuit unobserved, and Gimlet became absorbed in the contemplation of an enormous cairngorm, which was masquerading as an article of personal adornment in the window of the last outlying shop. From this position, not without its embarrassments, since a couple of barefooted children came instantly to the door, where they stood and stared at him unblinkingly, he saw the Russian advancing at a rapid pace across the moor, and look where he would, could perceive no means of keeping up with her unobserved upon the bare side of the hill. Just as he decided that the distance separating them had increased to an extent which warranted his continuing the chase, he joyfully saw her slacken her pace, and at the same moment a man, who must have been sitting behind a boulder beside the road, rose to his feet out of the heather, and came forward to meet her. For ten long minutes they stood talking, driving poor Gimlet to the desperate expedient of entering the shop and demanding a closer acquaintance with the cairngorm. It is humiliating to relate that he recoiled before it when it was placed in his hand, and nearly fled again into the road. However, he pulled himself together and held the proud proprietress, a gaunt, gray-haired woman with knitting needles ever clicking in her dexterous hands, in conversation upon the theme of its unique beauties until the subject was exhausted to the point of collapse. Every other minute he must stroll to the door and take a look up and down the road. A friend, he explained, had promised to meet him in that place, and though the shopwoman plainly doubted his veracity and kept a sharp eye that he did not take to his heels with the cairngorm, she did not go so far as to suggest his removing himself from the zone of temptation. At last, when for the twentieth time he put his nose round the doorpost, he saw that the pair had separated and were walking in opposite directions, the girl continuing on her way, while the man returned to the town. He was indeed not a hundred yards off. Gimlet plunged once more into the shop and fastened upon some pencils with a zeal not very convincing after his disappointing vacillation over the brooch. The gaunt woman cheered up, however, when he bought the first seventeen she offered him, and the stock being exhausted finished by purchasing a piece of India rubber, a stylographic pen, and a penny paper of pins, which she pressed upon him as particularly suited to his needs, and charged him fourpence for. By the time he issued forth into the open air, his pockets full of packages, the stranger had passed the shop and was turning the corner of the next house. To him now Gimlet devoted his powers of shadowing. There was no great difficulty about it. The man walked straight before him, looking neither to the right nor to the left, and as he strode along the wet roads Gimlet noticed with satisfaction the long, narrow, pointed footprints that were deeply impressed in the muddy places. He had no doubt they were the same as those he had noticed on the beach on the day of his arrival at Inverashiel. The stranger turned into the Cryonan Hotel, which stands on the lakefront, fifty yards from the landing place of the lock steamers. Gimlet passed the door without pausing and went down to the lock, where he mingled with the boatmen and loafers who congregated by the waterside. He kept, however, a strict eye on the door of the hotel and after a quarter of an hour saw the object of his attentions emerge with fishing-rod and basket, and cross the road directly towards him. Gimlet had not been able to see his face before, but now he had a good look as he passed close beside him. He was a tall, fair man, evidently a foreigner, but with nothing very striking about his appearance. 
A pointed yellow beard hid the lower part of his face, and, for the rest, his nose was short, his eyes blue and close together, and his forehead high and narrow. He looked closely at Gimlet as he went by, and for a moment the eyes of the two men met, both equally inscrutable and unflinching. Then the stranger glanced aside and strode on to where a small boat lay moored. The detective turned his back while the fair man got in and pushed off into the lock. "'Gentlemen going fishing,' he remarked to a man who lounged hard upon the causeway. "'He's extra fond of the fishing,' was the reply. "'For that he's a foreign gentleman.' Waiting till the boat had become a distant speck on the face of the waters, Gimlet made his way into the inn and entered into conversation with the landlord, on the pretext of engaging rooms for a friend. The landlord was sorry, but the house was full. "'If you wanted them in a fortnight's time,' he said, "'you could hate them the whole hotel. But the end of the holidays were full up. Folks take their rooms a month in advance. They come here for the fishing on the lock, and because me house is the most comfortable in the highlands.' "'Indeed, I can well believe that.' Gimlet assured him. I suppose you get a lot of tourists passing through, though. Americans, for instance. We hardly ever have a room to take them in. Nah, I seldom had Americans biding here. They mostly get down to the lock, said the innkeeper. I thought, said Gimlet, that was a foreign-looking man whom I saw a little while ago coming out of the hotel. We have a gentleman being here who belongs to fan parents, the landlord admitted. A Polish gentleman, he is. Count Petrovsky. A very nice gentleman. I couldn't just call him a tourist. He very keen on the fishing. He was up here for it last year as well. He had an own boat, and is at a weather trailing after the salmon. A great many sporting foreigners come to our island nowadays, Gimlet remarked. Does he get many fish? Ah, that's a grand place for salmon, said the innkeeper with obvious pride. And there's trout tuck, and pike, maize the plenty, he added. Dear me, said Gimlet. Just what my friend wants. I'm sorry you can't take him in. I must tell him to write in good time next year if he wants a room. As he parted from the landlord upon the doorstep of the Cryonon Hotel, the Rob Roy, the second of the two lock steamers, was edging away from the pier under a cloud of black smoke from her funnel. The rain had stopped, the passengers were scattered on the deck, and in the bows of the vessel the detective caught sight of Julia Romanoff's tweed-clad form. She was leaning against the rail, and gazing at a distant part of the lock where a black speck, which might represent a rowing boat, could faintly be discerned. She had come back then from the moorland walk. It was as Gimlet had expected, and though he chafed at the delay, he regretted less than he would have otherwise that he could not catch the Rob Roy. The Inverashiel would be due on her homeward trip in a couple of hours' time, and meanwhile he had other business that must be attended to. He went first to the post office, where he registered and posted to Scotland Yard a packet he had brought with him. Then, after asking his way of the sociable landlord of the hotel, he proceeded to the police station, a single-storied stone building standing at the end of a side street. Here he made himself known to the inspector, and imparted information which made that personage open his eyes considerably wider than was his custom. "'If you will bring one of your men and come with me yourself,' said Gimblet, at the conclusion of the interview, "'I think I shall be able to convince you that a mistake has been made. In the meantime, there will be no harm done by a watch being kept on the foreign gentleman who is at this moment trolling for salmon on the lock.' 
The inspector agreed, and when the Inverashiel started an hour later on her voyage down the lock, she carried the two policemen on her deck, as well as the most notorious detective she was ever likely to have the privilege of conveying. It was nearly three o'clock when they landed on the Inverashiel Pier. The weather, which for the last few hours had looked like clearing, had now turned definitely to rain. Clouds had descended on the hills, and the trees in the valleys stooped and dripped in the saturated, mist-laden air. Gimlet conducted the men to the cottage, where Lady Ruth anxiously awaited them. "'If you don't mind their staying here,' he suggested to her, "'while I go up to the castle and consult Lord Ashiel about a magistrate, it will be most convenient on account of the distance.' "'By all means,' said Lady Ruth. "'I feel safer with them. I expect you will find Miss Byrne up there.' She has not come in to lunch, and I think she probably met Mark and went to lunch at the castle. She ought to know better than to go to lunch alone with a young man, and I'm just wondering if she has changed her mind and accepted him after all. Girls are kittle-cattle, but I've got quite fond of that one, and I hope she's not forgotten poor David so soon. I really am feeling anxious about her. I dare say she has only walked further than she intended, said Gimlet or perhaps she came to a burn or some place she couldn't get over, and has had to go round a mile or two. Depend on it, that's what happened. But I promise you that if I find her at the castle, I will bring her back when I return. End of chapter 16 Recording by Garth Comira.